This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Bishop Stuart Ruck. So you all, every once in a while, the typical news cycle gets interrupted, and that happened this week. In terms of typical news cycle, we generally are reading often now about the very real issue of North Korea and nuclear armament and what's happening there. We read about China, the economy of China. Is it rising? Is it falling? We even had a news item this week that overcame the constant media stream about the Trump presidency. And that takes a lot. Did you all see it? It came out on Wednesday. It's about an investigation known as Look at this, Operation Varsity Blues. Operation Varsity Blues is about this. Police authorities uncovered a scam where dozens and dozens of rich American families were going to great and illegal lengths to get their children into the most exclusive American schools. At the center of this was a college admissions consultant, William Rick Singer who made millions upon millions of dollars. Parents would pay him upwards of half a million dollars to bribe and to cheat their children's way into elite institutions. He told parents, look, you can come in the front way by your students, your children earning their way in by merit. You can come in the back door by making massive endowment gifts, or you can come in my door, which he called the side door. The way into the side door is this will bribe the proctors who oversee students' ACT and SAT exams, will pay an ACT, SAT ace, a Harvard graduate in his 30s, who can nail any score on the SAT, ACT. If your kid's cumulative GPA isn't so great, maybe they shouldn't get a 36, perfect ACT score, he'll come in at a 33 or a 34, or maybe a 35, or whatever you need. He has that ability, and he's taking payment. For other kids, they literally photoshopped their children's faces on, for example, a stellar pole vaulter when it wasn't him at all, or a girl's face, a daughter's face on a water polo player. They bribed Ivy League coaches, Stanford coaches, hundreds of thousands of dollars to say that their student, their daughter, who didn't know the difference between defense or offense on a soccer team, was the best soccer player ever. And that the coach was thrilled to welcome her to Stanford. These parents, they want their kids in. Now they're in. They, rep- they represent the elite, the elite of the elite, the most successful, some of them very famous from Hollywood careers, etc., in America. So for some reason, they want not only to be in, they have to make sure that their kids are in. Maybe out of love for their kids, maybe out of a way of ensuring their inness so that their kids reflect on their inness as well. Now, this isn't a diatribe against elite schools. Some of you have gone to some of these elite schools. That's categorically not an issue. But this is about where do you want to be desperately in? With whom do you want to be desperately in? Where would you do things that would push your values and push your morals and push your virtues and push your commitments because you want to be there, not here? And there's got to be some way to get there. Where do you put your passion, your energy, the intelligence that you have, 
the relational skills that you have, the money that you have to get in. Jesus teaches there's one place on earth. There's one place that's worth getting in. There's one place that you actually should get everything to get into. And it's not Stanford. And it's not Yale. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus says you're made to want to be into one place and one place only, and that is the kingdom of God. And he says you can get into the kingdom of God. He says anyone can get into the kingdom of God, but you must come not through the side door, not through the front door, not through the back door, but through a narrow door. Strive, Jesus says, to enter the narrow door into the kingdom of God. All right, now, some of you already don't like the word strive. You don't like it. You're going, wait a second. I mean, I came to Res because there's liturgy and they're not so performance oriented. Isn't a rock star culture? Isn't strive all part of that? And in the English language, strive could be, but that's not what's going on in the original language here. We'll work on the word strive. It's an important word. And it's necessary to understand when Jesus says very clearly, strive to enter through the narrow door. Here's how we get in. You want to know how to get in? It won't take any money. You don't have to be senior partner in a prestigious law firm. You don't have to Photoshop your face onto an amazing pole vaulter. Here's what you have to do. According to Jesus, strive for lastness. Strive to be last. Strive for the kingdom of God. If your Bible's there, we'll look at verses 22 to 28. He spends a lot of time actually on teaching about those who do not enter the kingdom of God. Striving for lastness, verses 22 to 28, and those who do not enter the kingdom of God, those who strive for a kind of firstness, we'll teach on that. And then secondly, strive for the kingdom, verses 29 to 30. Verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the center, the center of all things, the center of the world, the center of the work of God, the center of the work of Jesus, the very place where Jesus will be crucified and where Jesus will be resurrected. This passage starts with the cross and it will end with the cross. This passage begins with the reality that this is where Jesus is going. He's going to the cross. He's going to save humanity from their sins. And all who repent and believe in him will enter through that narrow door. That's how it starts. That's where he's going. He knows his destiny. He knows his goal. Along that way, he's teaching. And somebody, we don't know whom, we don't know their background, we can make some guesses, ask a question. Someone says to him, verse 23, Lord, uh, which is a, it's a title of honor. It's not necessarily saying Jesus is son of God. He's not saying that's Lord, honor. Will those who are saved be few? Now, generally, I, I think, I can't prove this from the text, but if I'm asking that question, I'm asking because I think I'm one of the saved. That's what I, so I'm looking for an affirmation of who I am. Kind of like, like, I, I, like, you seem to be the guy that knows, so are you and I in on this together? Will those who are saved be few? And it's a speculative question. It's kind of a speculative, how does this work? Kind of abstracted question. Will those who are saved be few? Now, it's possible that this person is reflecting a certain school of thinking within Judaism. 
Not all the Jews thought this way, but there were rabbi schools and teacher schools that would have taught that only the Jews will be saved, and particularly only certain Jews from certain schools will be saved. Maybe he's asking that. He's part of that school. Would you reaffirm, Rabbi, the rabbinical school that I'm a part of, that only a certain group of Jews will be saved? But here's how Jesus answers it. He doesn't get into rabbinical schools. He doesn't get into speculation. Jesus, when it's often speculative, what does Jesus do? He goes specific. He did this in John 9 when I taught him why does God allow pain and suffering. He's asked a speculative question in John 9. And what did he do there? He went specific. He goes from what some views as a profound question and Jesus shifts it to the personal. Why? Because he carries you on his heart. He carries me on his heart because he loves persons. And so he says strive. In that word strive in the original language is you. It's a plural you. It's a plural second person. You both, you all, you all strive. Look, he says, let me be really clear with you. I care about you. I care about your salvation. I care about you getting into the kingdom of God. So I'm going to make very clear those who will not get into the kingdom of God. And then in the end of the teaching, verses 29 to 30, those who will get into the kingdom of God. Jesus wants to be no mystery around that. He's not trying to obscure how you get into the kingdom of God and who gets into the kingdom of God. He'll spend most of his time actually teaching about those who don't to be extremely clear so that more can come in. Strive is personal. It involves you. But it's also posture. Strive is more posture than it is performance in the original language. Strive has to do with something happening wholeheartedly. The word strive is also used by the writer of Hebrews. to strive for rest. Strive for God's presence. Well, that would be utterly nonsensical to say you can somehow perform your way into rest. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying, and that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying wholehearted desire. Do we have a wholehearted, active desire to be in the kingdom of God? That's what he's saying. He's asking us, even today, Second Sunday of Lent, he's asking us. He's asking his questioner. It reflects Deuteronomy 6. So beautiful. So that's a beautiful, critical verse in the Bible there in the Hebrew Scriptures. The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is a Deuteronomy 6 strive. It's a love strive. You want to know what strive looks like? Okay, most of our kids are in res kids right now, so I can talk about them without making them self-conscious, which is important. Okay. You're going to watch Strive in a few weeks. What happens with our children is in Holy Week, which is coming soon, on Palm Sunday, we'll celebrate Jesus coming in Jerusalem. You know what our children are going to do? They're going to jump up and down right here. They're going to be jumping up and down. They're so excited about Jesus coming in Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. We have the palms. They'll be jumping up and down. They'll just be wholeheartedly celebrating. You know what they're going to do on Monday, Thursday? They're going to wash people's feet. They're going to wash each other's feet. They're going to wash mom's feet and dad's feet. And you're going to feel awkward. But you know what? Most of them will not feel awkward. They're going to be wholehearted about it. They're going to be going in between the toes. I mean, they're going after it. Right? Because they're striving. They're, 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 they're childlike. They're children. Wait for Good Friday. That cross, that cross will come on this floor. And you will see children up there. They're going to have their hands on there. They're going to put their head on there. Some of those kids are going to be crying. They're going to meet the Lord there in tears. They're going to, they're going to be full of joy. Wholehearted. Watch them Easter Day. They're going to be running around this place. Dancing. 
you might too. You might strive that Sunday as well with wholehearted desire for the kingdom of God. That's what striving looks like. But there's another kind of striving. There's another kind of wholeheartedness, kind of Operation Varsity Blues striving. There's the striving for firstness, verses 25 to 27. Jesus basically says, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, many I tell you, verse 24, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now he tells a story. So he wants to bring specificity, and he wants to bring stories. So this is absolutely clear. People will remember because people remember stories. He tells the story of someone visiting a house. Someone will come and visit a house. And once the master of the house is risen and shut the door, so it's the evening, it's getting late, it's a practice to lock and shut the door. Many of us still lock and shut our doors at night. And you'll be standing outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Remember I said this was personal? I think it's interesting that this questioner addressed Jesus as Lord, and now Jesus is giving the questioner in his story the same language, Lord. We're going to find out who really believes he's Lord. Lord, open to us, and he will answer, verse 25, I do not know where you come from. There's another round of a very similar engagement. Jesus will say again, I do not know where you come from. What's happening here? There's two important levels. It could be in part that what he's stepping into is, again, a kind of idolatry of identity. And perhaps even I'm this certain kind of Jew from a Jewish school. We're going to be the ones that are saved. It's all about where we come from. And yet the master of the house is saying, I do not know where you come from. I don't know what land you come from. Because the land that deeply matters to me, Jesus is saying, is the land of lastness. It's the land of those who have come last. This isn't all the Jewish people. There'll be many, many, many who will come in. But he's saying, I have to say, it's not about, first and foremost, identity or where you come from. But this isn't just Jewish identity. This is now the level of the human heart for all. Jesus is saying, you can't be saved. You can't get into the kingdom of God on any power whatsoever other than my power. Your identity, be it whatever identity, in itself is not enough. How much is this fit for us today? How much is this fit for American culture whereby we have a myriad, literally thousands of identity camps? Their performance identity camps and their political identity camps and their sexual identity camps. And it's our identity. It's where we come from now. Well, there's another kind of power that he's saying. That, as a matter of fact, they say to Jesus, they say, you know, Lord, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. In other words, we, 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 have, we have the power of knowledge. We, we heard your teachings. We listened to your podcast. No, wait a second. I can answer every question you would ask. I can fill in every blank that's on this test. I can get an A-plus on the Jesus test. How could you not know me? How could you say you don't know where I come from? I got an A. Oh. Oh. Maybe getting an A doesn't work. Maybe a perfect ACT score doesn't work with this in. That's what Jesus is saying. It doesn't work. Note as well that it's all about timing. There's a way in which those who are coming, 
They have what so many of us have, don't they? Kind of a power of entitlement. I'll come when I'm ready to come. I'll come on my terms. I'll come when it gets late. I'll come and knock on the door. And Jesus is clearly saying, there is a time when the door is shut. There will be a time for salvation when the door will be shut. The Bible teaches that all of us at some point will die. And the Bible teaches that at our death, we will have an encounter with Jesus. And at that point, we will give, we will give reason for our life. That there will be those who will be in the kingdom of God who have striven for lastness, and there will be those who depended on their own power. And he'll say, even then, I don't know where you come from. I don't know you. Be assured there'll be tears in his eyes. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Do you understand that when it comes to salvation, there is a time limit? Now, we're very careful of resurrection. If you're in the process of choosing Jesus to say, study, reflect, be intentional, and we mean that. But we also have to reflect what Jesus has taught, that there is a time when there is no time, that either at your death or when he returns, if it comes before that and consummates the kingdom, there will be a time when it's too late. And I owe it to you as a teacher of the Bible to make that clear to you, that today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And that we must be ready to take risk of believing on the kingdom. We are not entitled to come to Jesus on our own terms. There's one way in. It's a narrow way in. It's the Jesus term way. It's the league of lastness. Do you know what the song of lastness is? The song of the country of lastness. Do you know how to sing it? You just sang it. Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy. That's the anthem of those who are last. Of those who sing that song, Jesus will say, I know exactly who you are. You're singing in my heart language, Jesus will say. I have a friend, dear friend, he was once part of a deep spiritual move of God, Christian move of God. In the last couple of years, he's made a significant departure from the way of the Bible. Children, wife, he's chosen to leave both. He's involved with another woman. And he was confronted about this decision being completely out of line with the kingdom of God. And his response was, oh, no, 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 we're good. I, I still love Jesus. We're good. That's loving Jesus on his terms. I pray, just pray for him that he'll enter in the narrow door while it's still wide open. So what does striving for lastness look like? If this is those who don't get in, who are those that get in? Look at verse 30, and look at that important Bible word that I've mentioned to you many times before. Look at the Bible word, behold. Verse 30, behold. When you hear behold, one thing that Jesus is saying in this, in this technical term is this is something that you're not going to understand by your own heart. This is something I'm going to tell you right now that you will not understand by your own mind. You need a revelation. Behold this. Here comes the revelation. Here's the revelation. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's the heart of the kingdom of God. Some are last who will be first. And some are first who will be last. This is the heart of the teaching of the kingdom of God, the heart of Jesus. And we strive now for that lastness that brings us into the kingdom of God. What does it look like? Doctors will talk about presenting symptoms. There's like presenting symptoms, and then there's the ultimate cardinal symptom of an issue when you're ill. Do you have any presenting symptoms of lastness? Here's what I mean. Do you have a besetting sin that here, 10 days in the Lent, you thought, I'm going to conquer that sin? Or 10 days in the Lent, it may not be a besetting sin. It's just a besetting circumstance. 
It's a physical circumstance. It's a neurological circumstance. It's an affection circumstance. I don't know what it is. There's either a sin or a circumstance, and you are, Lent's not going well. You're not enjoying it. Everyone here loves Lent. You don't love Lent. You actually just feel vulnerable. You feel fragile. You feel ashamed. That's your lastness. Don't be ashamed of that lastness. Now, if it's sin, yes, flee from it. But admit it. Your vulnerability, your issues that are there, that's your, that's your lastness. Strive for that lastness. Offer that lastness up to the Lord. That gets you into the kingdom of God. That gets you into the narrow door. That puts you in the league of others who know their lastness. It's a beautiful league. It's a beautiful place. If you have your Bibles in front of you, you, you see someone who is part of the kingdom of God. She's called a woman with a disabling spirit. She's disabled physically because of demonic power in her life. And she's released by Jesus from that disability. But that looks like lastness. The leaders, the religious leaders couldn't understand that she was actually part of the kingdom of God. So if you have presenting symptoms that you're aware of right now, sin or circumstance, offer it. Repent of it. But don't hide it. Bring it out. Or maybe there's the cardinal symptom, the ultimate symptom. Maybe you're not in touch with presenting lastness right now. It's just the deep reality that you must acknowledge your wretchedness. That the human heart is a sinful heart. That the human heart is a power heart. It's the power of knowledge. It's the power of identity. It's the power of entitlement. It's whatever power it is that says, no, my terms, my time, my way. We all have that so deeply rooted in us. Ask God to show it to you and offer that to the Lord in repentance and come into the narrow door. Spurgeon, 19th century Christian thinker and preacher said this, be content to be nothing for that is what you are. This is even, next sentence is even better. When your own emptiness is painfully forced upon your consciousness. When your own emptiness is painfully forced. In other words, most of us don't go, I think I'll spend the day thinking about how empty I am. Right? No. Some movement of our flesh, something in our mind, painfully forces upon us the reality of our fragility, our emptiness, our deep need. Spurgeon says, when that happens, chide yourself that you ever dreamed of being full. Accept in the Lord. So, okay, the, the door is narrow. Jesus taught that. And yes, there's a way in which the kingdom of God is exclusive, but in exactly the opposite way that elite college is exclusive. This exclusivity, this kingdom exclusivity, it's the ex exclusivity of the humble and the hungry and the forgotten. It's the league of lastness, and we sing the anthem, Lord, have mercy. That's the kingdom. That's where we're going. Jesus says, you know what the kingdom of God is like? He says it's like a small seed. It's right before this passage. It's like a small seed, and it becomes a massive, beautiful tree with birds all over it. Whenever I read that passage, I remember a moment Catherine and I had in the bush in Brazil where we came upon this tree. It was this beautiful, huge tree. And it looked like it was a white flowering tree until we got closer. And all of a sudden, 200 white birds took off from its branches. Just beautiful and flying and huge and bountiful and glorious. That's like the kingdom of God. Starts really small, utterly glorious. Starts really narrow. But once you come in through that humility and hunger, it's massive and huge and beautiful. You must see the kingdom. Jesus says, now, 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 look, now look at the kingdom. Verse 29. Here's what the kingdom looks like. Here's what you're striving for when you strive for the kingdom. 
people, people from east and west, people that he loves, people that he's called. They're from east and they're from west. They're from north and they're from south. They're from all over the place. And they're reclining at table. Don't miss that phrase. That's a feast phrase. The teaching of the Bible is that when Jesus consummates all things, there will be a feast for all times. There'll be an incredible feast. The prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew scriptures prophesied about this. He said a feast is coming. In Isaiah chapter 25, he says, On the mountain of the Lord, Jerusalem, a mountain, a place we go up to, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the covering of sin, the covering of suffering and pain. He will swallow that up. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. That's the feast we're going to. Think about this feast, this north, south, east, west feast. Think about it. There are going to be Chicago hot dogs there, and you can eat them. Nigerian moi moi, Vietnamese pho, Brazilian shuhasku, African-American soul food, German sauerkraut, enchiladas and hummus, the best hummus, and pie. <laughs> it's in the Greek. There's going to be so much pie. Right. There's going to be Jews and Gentiles. There's going to be Africans and Asians, North and South Americans, Europeans and Arabs and Persians gathered from all around the world who have named the name of Jesus. They believed in the power of the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world. That's the kingdom. That's where we're going. That's why you're fasting now. That's why you're trusting in your Bible. That's why you're offering up your sufferings and your circumstances to the Lord. Oh, it's a narrow door, but it's a beautiful, massive tree. The fatherless and the widows and disabled and immigrants and refugees and suburbanites and maybe even some of those rich white kids who this week found out they didn't get into Yale like they thought they did. Mom and dad bought their way in. And maybe, just maybe, and I'm praying for them, in that humility, they'll be humbled and they'll get hungry, and they'll find the narrow door where Jesus saying, come here. It's safe here. I bought your way. I paid way more than $500,000. I bought your way with my blood. It's so good. It's so real. Jesus says, come in. Strive. Give your whole heart to enter the kingdom of God. But all those peoples and all that food, it, it really isn't going to matter because he's going to be there. He's going to be right in the center in his house, the master of the house. He's going to be right there. And that's all we're going to care about. We're just going to look on him. And we're going to realize that the narrow door is Jesus. The narrow door is the cross. And that the narrow door wasn't an A plus. Slice the A. Extend the vertical bar of the plus, and it's a cross. And that's the narrow door that all peoples can enter into. So behold. 
Some that are last will be first. And some that are first will be last. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.